Good morning, church. We have two Bible readings today. Our first one is in Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. Please turn to page 128 on your pew Bibles with me. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of a covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. Our next reading is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to chapter 4, verses 6. This can be found on page 1646 in your pew Bibles. Beginning in verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, let letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of a living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of a spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of a spirit be even more glamorous? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord is there. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all 
who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, we, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Uh, well, thanks, Matthew. Uh, morning, everyone. My name's Tim. In case we haven't met, I'm the youth pastor here. I spend most of our time with our teenagers. Uh, great to be here with you this morning and to unpack those words which Matthew just read for us. Uh, let me pray as we get into it. Father God, thank you so much that you're a God who has made himself known through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray now as we read his word and see his face with unveiled faces, may come to see more of your glory. Amen. Well, glory, when you hear glory, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Maybe you're a bit of a soccer fan and you can't help but think of Manchester United's song, Glory, Glory, Man United. Uh, maybe, on the other hand, you're, you're into your music, you enjoy your music, and so you think of things like Angry Anderson's 1990s anthem, Bound for Glory, or, or maybe musical theatre world, you think of uh, things like The Greatest Showman and This Is Me singing We Are Glorious, or maybe you, you enjoy your rap and you like Macklemore's Glorious. Uh, and what all these songs have in common is that glory is in the world of victory, of triumph, of overcoming adversity. Maybe on the other hand, uh, you think of glory a bit like weight. So you might think of me donning one of our youth sumo suits and pinning down a 12-year-old on the sumo mat. Uh, In that case, I have more glory than this 12-year-old child. Uh, I have more weight. I overpower them. Funnily enough, when we read the Bible, we actually see that one of the most common images is not about victory or triumph. It's not about weight. It's actually about light about blindingly bright, shining light. God's purity, His beauty, His power, represented by a blindingly bright light. And in 2 Corinthians 3 to 4, which we just read before, it's very much about a blindingly light-filled glory. Glory or glorious gets mentioned 14 times in this passage, while in the rest of 2 Corinthians, it's only mentioned four more times. So if we want to know about glory we come to this passage in 2 Corinthians. Now, just to bring us back up to speed, uh, you've joined us in the middle of a series looking at this letter on 2 Corinthians. Paul is writing 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth because there's some issues. He wasn't able to make a visit there that he said he would. And the church seems to be questioning whether they even want Paul and his ministry. 
throughout this letter, we also have these mysterious people that seem to oppose Paul. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we find out that they're called super apostles. Uh, and apparently, as far as we can tell, they were impressive public speakers. They weren't subject to persecution. And they went into great detail about visions and victories they had from God. Across chapters 1 and 2, which we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, they've made a big deal about Paul. They've claimed that Paul doesn't have any integrity. Because some people rejected Paul's message, they're even saying, Paul's not worthwhile following. But in the passage which Matthew just read for us before, we see Paul defend his credentials. He shows that the glory of his ministry is greater compared to the glory of the old covenant ministry. And he says that even with setbacks, even with things not going his way, he doesn't lose heart. Instead, he gets on with preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, so if you want to follow along this morning, there is an outline. You can take notes if that's helpful for you. Uh, but to start with, Paul opens up with a defense of his credentials. Please look with me again at verses 1 to 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. While Paul's opponents in Corinth seem to have another thing going for them, they seem to have come with letters of recommendation, and in turn, they have asked the Corinthian church to write them more recommendations, to endorse them to other churches. Now, in the Greek-speaking world, this was a big deal. Letters of recommendation were needed. And for us today, there's actually nothing wrong with credentials. We care about credentials. We are rightly concerned for appropriate qualifications. By way of example, back in 2023, last year, uh, UK psychiatrist Zolia Alemi was sentenced to seven years in prison. Why? Because she never finished medical school. For 20 years, she had practiced medicine as a psychiatrist, sometimes detaining people against their will with no qualifications. It's right for us to care about qualifications. So what about Paul? Well, in verses 2 and 3, Paul says that the Corinthian church is his letter, written on his heart. What does Paul mean by this? He means that the very existence of the Corinthian church, the church he planted, was proof of his ministry from God. Proof that he is qualified by God to do this ministry. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. If we're familiar with Paul's story, we see back in Acts that he was called by God. He met the risen and ascended Lord Jesus. He was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, the Corinthian church only exists because God has endorsed and qualified Paul. Now, this makes what the Corinthians are doing here a little bit bizarre, doesn't it? It'd be like a teenager tracking down the obstetrician or midwife who helped deliver them all those years ago, going down to their house and saying, excuse me, what gave you the right to help deliver me? Where are your qualifications? We're a bit past that by now, aren't we? The proof is that the Corinthian church exists through Paul's ministry. 
the Corinthian church are written deeply on Paul and company's hearts. Everyone around them can tell that they love them, that they care for them, that they helped them get started. Well, just to briefly apply this to us today, none of us have the same qualifications that Paul had. We are reading about a specially qualified apostle defending his ministry to the church that he started and that ought to have celebrated him, not been sceptical of him. But to view ourselves through the lens of the Corinthians for a moment, what is your attitude towards your spiritual leaders? Towards small group leaders or growth group leaders, towards ministry leaders, the bands, towards kids' ministry leaders, towards your pastors? I'm really thankful that Trinity Church Adelaide has a high respect for our leaders. We really value our growth group leaders, our kids' ministry leaders, our pastors. I've been on both ends of this as a member and now as a pastor. I feel very welcomed and honoured. But also, as I think about our world, there is a spirit that's around, a spirit of scepticism, a spirit that's reluctant to submit to leaders. Now, what could it look like for us? Well, maybe, maybe it's in, when you notice an issue, or when you have a concern about our church, maybe it's in talking to other people widely instead of talking to a ministry leader about it. Or maybe it's in filling in one of those QR codes or connection cards with anonymous criticism about a song choice or about the sermon. Or maybe it's in refusing to submit to the structures that our church has put in place to help care for our members, things like growth groups, things like gathering forums. Is that you? I'm thankful that our church is not like the Corinthian church. Now, here at Trinity Church Adelaide, we are characterized by a love for God, a love for His Word, and a healthy respect for leaders. Not putting them beyond reproach, but a healthy respect for them, even when we don't get it right all the time. Thank you for being that kind of church to us. Let's keep it up. Well, back to Paul. Having defended his credentials that his ministry is from God... He then makes a big comparison between his ministry, the ministry of the New Covenant, and the Old Covenant ministry, the ministry of Moses. Now, to help us follow along, there is a table in your outlines. Uh, please fill it in if it's helpful for you as we follow this comparison. A couple of quick definitions as we come to this passage. The covenant, Paul talks about it a lot, a covenant refers to a legal relationship between God and his people. It's got promises, it has consequences for breaking the relationship. And there's also the ministry of the covenant that's talked about here. The ministry of the covenant is the work done by God's leaders to help make this covenant happen. Right. Well, first line, we see the difference between what the covenants were written with. Pick up with me again partway through verse 3. You are the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Or skipping down a bit further at verse 6, picking it up, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Both covenants were written down, but the old covenant, the work of Moses, was written with ink, with letters. It was engraved on tablets. But on the other hand, the new covenant, the work of the Spirit, was written by the Spirit. And they were written on different things. They weren't just written with different things. They were written on different things. The Old Covenant 
was written on stone tablets. We heard it just there in verse 3 or down in verse 7, the law written on stone tablets. But the new covenant written on human hearts by the Spirit. Why is Paul making this comparison? Well, because the old covenant, the law written on stone tablets with ink, was an outside law. And the problem with an outside law is just that. It's outside. It's external. As long as the law remains outside of me, it has no power to change me or transform me. Uh, By way of example, uh, talking about old and new, the old Royal Adelaide Hospital down the other end of North Terrace, it used to have all these signs hanging from the ceilings, all these bright yellow signs, black writing, saying, entry into the ceiling space prohibited. Now, the ceilings weren't particularly high. They had those little boards that you kind of lift up and move along. And I don't know what you think when you hear that, but to me, when I read those signs, I found them kind of funny. First of all, because I hadn't even thought about climbing into the ceiling space personally. And secondly, because the kind of person who would think about climbing into the ceiling space probably isn't deterred by signs. Now, when I saw those signs, I thought, oh, I reckon I could get into the ceiling if I had to. I reckon I could get up there. That's not too hard. I'm pretty tall. The problem with an external law is that it remains external. It doesn't change my heart. These signs had no power over me to change what I desired. They couldn't work on my hearts. But when God writes on human hearts by His Spirit, well, you can't walk away from that, can you? No, God's work in our hearts, He transforms our motivations, our desires, our longings, This ministry of the new covenant is so much better. Well, carrying on then to the third set of info, what do each of these ministries lead to? We're just going to skim through verses 6 to 9 for this, um, but skimming through them, we read about the old covenant. Verse 6, the letter kills. Uh, Verse 7, if the ministry that brought death. Uh, Verse 9, the ministry that brought condemnation. On the other hand, skimming through those same verses, we see that, verse 6, the Spirit gives life. Uh, Verse 8, the ministry of the Spirit, this new covenant is the ministry of God's Spirit. Verse 9, the ministry that brings righteousness. The old ministry leads to condemnation and death. Why? Because an external law doesn't transform. It can only condemn. It can only tell us how far short we fall. It doesn't produce lasting righteousness. On the other hand, though, the new covenant, the ministry of the Spirit, it brings life and righteousness. See, the Holy Spirit takes what applies to Jesus, takes all the things that are true about Jesus, and applies them to us. Because Jesus is righteous, He perfectly kept God's law. We are declared righteous. Because Jesus has eternal life, resurrected life, we have eternal life. Isn't this ministry of the new covenant so much better? This is the hope that we Christians have. Not that we are righteous, not that we can keep a law, but that Jesus can. That Jesus is righteous and that God applies his righteousness to us freely. On my own, I am not righteous. I get it wrong. I am not able 
to rely on my own righteousness. I need God's work. What about you? Are you relying on your own righteousness? A quick test for this for yourself is to ask the hypothetical. If God asked you today, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Are you relying on your own righteousness? Because it doesn't last. It doesn't work. We need a better righteousness. We need this new ministry. Well, back to our table then. Line four, the nature of each ministry's glory. Skimming down again through verses 7 to 11, we do see that the old covenant, the ministry that Moses had, it was glorious. It did have a glory. Moses' face shone with this glory. Now, Paul's referring back to that account from Exodus 34, which Matthew read to us before, to point out three things about this glory. This glory was transitory, it was limited, and it was external. First of all, it was transitory. It was going to be replaced and surpassed by a new covenant's glory, a greater glory. It was transitory. Second, it was limited. It was a glory that only Moses shone with. We saw it before in Exodus 34. The people of Israel were scared. They fled from Moses' presence. It didn't spread to other Israelites. In some ways, this glory was actually a condemnation on the people of Israel. Moses, not they, could stand in direct presence of God. Moses and not them could have a relationship with God. Moses and not them could directly access God. It was transitory, it was limited, and third, it was external. It was visible and it was obvious, it was shining off Moses' face. So much so that they could chuck a veil over Moses' face to hide it, to prevent from seeing it. So that's the old covenant. On the other hand, the new covenant's glory is greater, everlasting, and internal for now. It's greater, first of all. So much greater that in verse 10, Paul could write, for what was glorious, that old covenant ministry, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Now, this new covenant's glory trumps the old covenant's glory. Second, it's everlasting. Verse 11 makes it clear. The glory of this ministry lasts. So it's greater, it's everlasting. And third, it's internal for now. For now, the Spirit's ministry doesn't work on human faces, it works on human hearts. But when we at last behold the Lord's face fully, When we at last see him purely with unveiled faces, this glory becomes external. We read about this in places like 1 John 3. That's the hope that Christians have. Now, this is in direct contrast to the Corinthians. um, But they've got these super apostle teachers. Well, they're all about a visible glory now kind of ministry. A ministry that is obvious in its glory. No suffering, no weakness, no rejection. Impressive public teachers, victories, triumphs, visions. But a ministry that looks like suffering now, that looks weak and doesn't have visible glory, well, that's not a ministry worth following, is it? That doesn't look very attractive, does it? That's what the Corinthians are thinking. But Paul's point is that this is exactly what the new covenant ministry looks like. 
internal transformation and glory now, visible external glory to come later. God's glory fully wrapped up in a regular human being with kneecaps and nostril hairs, Jesus Christ, now. The risen, ascended, reigning Lord Jesus, later. It's a glory we can't see now. But as Paul says in verse 12, we have this hope. We have the hope of the glory that is greater, everlasting and internal for now. That's why Paul's so bold in this ministry. He knows it's how God works now. He knows that's how God's plan works. Well, to our final line of the table, how we observe God's glory. In the Old Covenant, we see that God's glory wasn't really able to be observed by the people of Israel. It was veiled. And verse 14, their minds were dulled. See, it's not just a veil that's on top of Moses' face. No, Paul's saying that they've got an internal veil on their hearts as well. They've got these super fully tinted sunnies that they're wearing, so much so that they don't see God's glory. They don't really see God's glory in Moses' face, and now they don't really see God's glory in the gospel, in the word of God. Why? Because they've got blinders on. And what is glorious doesn't appear glorious to them. Uh, just to help us see how this veil kind of works, um, there's a picture up on the screen. Back in 2011, I was in New York with my brother doing lots of touristy things, and one of the things we did was we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, and among everything else, we saw this painting. Now, I am completely uncultured. So when I saw it, I thought, cool, flowers, and kept walking along. But for the educated among you, you may know that this is a painting by Vincent van Gogh called A Bouquet of Flowers in a Vase, which is worth somewhere in the vicinity of 14 to 18 million US dollars. No matter how beautiful this painting is, no matter the credentials it has, it just didn't hit me, it didn't strike me, it didn't impact me. I just walked on. No, I needed something inside of me to change. I needed a recognition, an embrace, a love for the beauty of this painting and the painter that made it. Thanks. And it's the same with the glory of these covenants. The problem's not with the covenant. The problem's not with the glory. The problem wasn't with the painting. No, the problem's with Israel. The problem's with us. There's a veil that blocks us from seeing the full glory of God in this new covenant, in His Word. And that veil is only taken away by the Spirit's work in our hearts. See, the glory of the old covenant could be only seen through a veil. But the glory of this new covenant is seen unveiled. Look with me again at verse 18, please. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We are all being transformed into this image with an ever-increasing glory. This is the Christian life. We are bound to glory. We are bound for glory. We are being transformed to look even more like Jesus, the glorious, pure, perfect Jesus, from the inside out. Now, this is actually hard to observe, this process of being glorified, glorification. Chances are it's hard to observe because growth normally is. 
So just as a way of kind of testing yourself, at the start of this new year, at the start of 2024, ask yourself a couple of questions. You can write them down, you can think about them now if you like, and talk about them later. Uh, compared to this time a year ago, two years, three years, five years, do you look more like Jesus? Compared to this time last year, two years, three years, whatever, are there sins you're struggling with less? Are there areas of righteousness that are coming more naturally to you? Is your heart for God's people, for God's mission, growing? You might want to ask someone that knows you pretty well. Ask them what they've observed. This transformation into glory happens as we contemplate the Lord's glory. That's what verse 18 says. So, just to further that, how can we be contemplating the Lord's glory more? Well, if we're following this ministry of the now, not yet visible glory, it probably means that we're going to do it in not yet visible, glorious kind of ways. Things that look pretty ordinary. Things like reading our Bibles and studying them. Things like coming here on a Sunday and meeting with God's people face to face and singing His praises. Things like meeting with a small group of other Christians who can hold you accountable for sin, for righteousness, for your own growth as a Christian. For me personally, I'm working through the Bible in a year plan trying to take some pretty good notes as I do it. It's day 14, I'm a little bit behind, but I'll catch up, don't worry. Um, but in addition, as a household, we're also doing a, a catechism. We're doing the New City Catechism uh, as a way of trying to learn the things of the Bible, learn the language of faith uh, in our hearts and minds, especially for our young daughters. We are bound for glory. How can we participate in this process even more in 2024? Well, Paul has defended his personal ministry in Corinth. He's shown why the not yet fully visible glorious of this nature of this new ministry uh, is greater than the visible glory of the old covenant ministry. And then, coming down to chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, he finishes up by saying how this is a comfort for him. Uh, please look with me again at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. They don't lose heart. This ministry that doesn't look glorious is from God. They are endorsed by God. In the face of opposition, in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution, in the face of rejection... Paul and his companions don't pack it in. And they don't play fast and loose with God's words either. No, they have integrity as ministers of the new covenant. And he sets forth the truth plainly. Verse 5, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, a bit of a fun fact, Brian Dickey from 9am actually came up and told me this just after the gathering this morning. Uh, that verse, chapter 4, verse 5, was one used by one of the first ministers here at Trinity, Charles Howard. And he brought it up because he was accused of only being in ministry for the money, 
for the, the weddings and the surplus and all that sort of stuff. And he responded with 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants. That's pretty cool. That's a great heritage for us to have. Paul says that he sets the, for, the truth plainly. Jesus Christ is Lord. So how could he play fast and loose? How could he dishonor his Lord by changing the message that he proclaims? It's not his message to play with. It's Jesus. Now, just briefly, we've whizzed over it, but did you notice in verse 4 that he says the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers? He's saying that one of the works of Satan in this world is to blind our minds, to chuck the veil on our minds. Now, just to be clear, Satan is not a rival God when he says the God of this age. Satan's not equal and opposite to God. No, Satan is a creature made by God and will be fully judged when Jesus returns. But Satan does have power. Now, with so many horror movies out ever since The Exorcist came out, uh, it's pretty easy when we hear about Satan's power to think about demon possession and, and freaky kind of stuff like that. Now, that's definitely a work that Satan does. The Bible doesn't shy away from that. But what Paul makes clear here is that Satan's biggest goal is not freaky demon possession stuff. No, actually, Satan's core work is blinding people to God's glory. It's stopping people from seeing God's goodness in the gospel. Which, sure, Satan might do by making people afraid of powers and by spirits. But he also does it by just whispering the same message he always has. You don't really need God, do you? This gospel can't be that good. There's that many people who don't believe it. Why would you listen to it? Paul knows this pretty well. He himself was dead set against Christianity from the start and was prepared to kill Christians who were preaching the gospel. He was that blinded. So what made him change? What made Paul do a 180? Well, he met the glorious, risen Lord Jesus. He was blinded, literally, by Jesus' glory's light. Well, how about you? None of us, when we hear the gospel message, is unbiased. None of us comes to it as a blank slate, ready to be impressed upon. No, we've actually all got blinders on. We all have our minds and hearts veiled naturally to the glorious message of the gospel. We all need God's Spirit to actually do His work in us, to take the sunnies off, to take the veil off, to remove the blinders so we can see clearly the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. As you think about Jesus, as you think about the gospel, how bright is your Jesus? When you look at Jesus, how bright is he? When you hear the gospel, do you see the brilliance of his glory? Or maybe like the Israelites, do you chuck a bit of a veil on? Do you wear your dark tinted sunnies without even realizing it and kind of just get along with life, not really thinking much about Jesus? Jesus' lordship transforms everything. You see, if Jesus is Lord, if he is the glorious, shiny, bright Lord, then how we choose where we're going to work, where we're going to live, what we do with retirement, who we date, who we marry, what we do with our money, what we do with our holidays, what we do with schooling choices, 
All these things have to be transformed if Jesus is Lord. But on the other hand, if I have a dull, not shiny Jesus, then I can get away with making my own choices, with doing my own thing. If I have a bright, glorious, risen Lord Jesus, we can't help but want to look more like him, want to become more like him. We can't help but tell others about him and invite them to come to know him. But if we have a dull, not very bright Jesus, why would we want to share the gospel? If we have a bright, shiny, glorious Jesus, our hearts can't but help singing his praises boisterously in lifting our voices in worship of him. But if we have a dull, not super shiny Jesus, we can probably just get away with mumbling the words, thinking about morning tea that's to come later or what's, what's going on for the rest of the day. How bright is your Jesus? Chapter 4, verse 6. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So in 2024, will you behold the glorious Lord Jesus even more? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for Paul, a minister of the glorious new covenant. Thank you that you write your covenant on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that by the Spirit we can see all the glory of your Son, Jesus, face to face, not behind a veil. Help us to see even more clearly Jesus' bright, shiny glory Help us be willing participants in your work of glorifying us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.